You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it. And those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, there will my servants be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. The Gospel of the Lord. lifted up will draw all people to myself. In the name of God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You can have a seat, church. Good morning. Now raise your hand if you love calling for tech support through like a phone tree in another country. Yeah? Any takers? No? Okay, good. Really? Nobody loves like bureaucracy. Have you ever written your congressperson? Gotten any feedback? No one loves like the bureaucracy, the, the systems, the processes that we have to go through to get access to something or some information that's important to somebody that's important. Nobody loves all of the clutter that we have to sift through. Of course not. We hate this stuff. I'd rather go to the dentist and sit on the phone for 45 minutes for my, my call to be dropped and then like start all over again for customer support, say zero, zero. For customer support, say zero, zero. You know what I mean? That whole thing. I hate that stuff. Can you imagine the bureaucratic nightmare that would ensue for us to be able to write a letter to maybe somebody that's important in the church and it gets lost in the secretary's office somewhere. Finally, maybe it makes its way up to the bishop's office and maybe to the archbishop or somebody else who's important that has access to Jesus that we would have to like find our way and all the while we are these poor souls waiting with this simple request for the response to our request, which is we want to see Jesus. Can you imagine 
bureaucracy between us and being able to see Jesus. We may take that for granted, actually, considering like just for tech support, we got to go through all that. To see the incarnate God, there's no bureaucracy. Whoa, okay. So if we have this simple request, we just want to see Jesus, it's, it's way simpler than wading through all of these people and complications. It's simpler than that? Interesting. Amen. It's really all there is for us to want, honestly, this question. I want to see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. I remember being a little boy praying because I wasn't sure. I wasn't really a little boy. I was like 13. That's not a little boy. I was in my room, and I was like, I don't know if I believe in God. And I was going to bed, and I said, God, if you're there, prove it. I want to see you. And my eyes were closed. And all these stories always sound weird. But this moment was like seared into my memory when you share these stories with people. It sounds strange. But I knew for sure that somehow God was strangely and mysteriously present in my room as a child. And I, I assumed that it was like some massive angel that could like destroy me. And immediately when I felt that, you know when someone's in the room? Immediately when I felt that presence in the room, I said, God, take him away. I don't have to see it. I believe you. You take it away. We desire to see God, but can you imagine if he showed up in full force with all of his holiness and glory, our response? It would probably be something like falling to our face saying, take him away. We can't stand his presence. He's too much. Can we please see the Lord? We still ask, nevertheless. Think of what it might do for your life today. Think of your life. Think of the week that you have to come. What would it change in your coming week to sit down with Jesus at Stout House and have a cup of coffee? To see him face to face. I mean, it could be any pub, but why not the best one, right? Our favorite one. What would that change in your week? What would that change in your life to sit down and see Jesus? How do we get to that place as practicing Christians where we can be with Jesus? We can see him. Can we see him? What do we need to do to make that happen? Obviously, we're like the problem, right? We have to do something to make this reality where we can see Jesus face to face. Or maybe is all of is all that the wrong question? What can we do to see Jesus? This morning, friends, as we bring our series, uh, By Grace You've Been Saved, to a close, at the end of this Lenten season, right on the cusp of entering into Holy Week this Palm Sunday, we're at a crossroads, and I really want us at this moment, the close of Lent, the beginning of Holy Week and Easter to come, I want us to meditate on this mystery of seeing the Lord and how it actually saves our lives, what it means for us. For doubters, maybe you're in the room thinking, I don't know, it's like religious talk again, jargon, I'm not sure about this. Skeptics, non-believers, Maybe you're a total faithful Christian. Maybe you're a new Christian. Wherever you find yourself this morning, everybody in between all those places, the mystery still applies to you, even if it is a mystery. It still applies to you. We come to see and believe in God, not any, by anything we've done, but because God has determined to show himself to us. So even our doubts, even our objections can't get in the way of God's revelation of himself to us. Hmm. I wonder what that would mean for us. Has God really made himself visible to us? He has, in fact, in Jesus, whose glory has this wonderful gravitational pull that when he is lifted up, 
all people are drawn to him, even the doubters, even the skeptics, even the Christians. There's a long story. I want to back up. There's a really long story to this promise. Our reading from Jeremiah 31. Did you hear that this morning? It begins, the days are surely coming. Take this to the bank, says the Lord. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It won't be like the old covenants, the old promises and oaths that I've made in the past that, by the way, y'all broke. Won't be like that. You like an unfaithful spouse, the words of Jeremiah. No, you won't break it this time. You won't break this covenant. God says through his prophet, I will put my law into them and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more Sunday school. Everybody's like, hallelujah. We don't even have much Sunday school. What are you guys complaining about? No more Bible studies. By the way, catechism starts April 8th. No more catechism. No more seminaries. Nobody will have to teach anybody about God in these days to come because we will all know God firsthand. We will see him face to face. We will know him. The slow, the smart, the believers, the doubters, everybody will know God for themselves. And you know what's wonderful about this news from Jeremiah is that God will forget all of the things we've done wrong. He will forgive and forget all of our sins. Promise. God says. This is the shape of this new covenant that we hear through Jeremiah chapter 31. Now there's knowledge about someone. There's types of knowledge here, right? There's knowledge about someone, like reading about somebody on Facebook. I like people who are like, oh yeah, we're friends on Facebook. Never met them, but I watch their feed all the time. We're totally friends. That's knowledge about someone. And I hate to say it, but I don't know if that's truly friendship. I don't think, you know, we could say that's not friendship, okay? That's knowledge about someone. And then there's this other kind of knowledge that's firsthand eyewitness, personal experience with somebody, right? This over here, this is the kind of knowledge that God promises to us. And there's nothing we can do to get in the way of that. Someday we will know him this way. But knowing God like this, it doesn't come without consequence. There's actually an effect to knowing. We all think, wow, that would be great, right? there's an effect to knowing God in such an intimate way. Inside and out, the brightness of God casts out the darkness in us when God knows us this way, when we know him this way. It purges us of sins. God, God's presence, his knowledge of us, our knowledge of him is ultimately a kind of communion, right? An intimate communion. In scripture, it's this koinonia, this most intimate communion that Paul used to describe this meal actually when God comes close to us and we to him our inward beings are purified our sins are forgiven we're made new in the presence of God in this communion man that sounds really nice because you know what happens when we come in communion with God we come in communion with all of his attributes too the things that we love in this world like kindness and peace and mercy and beauty generosity, love, those are all the attributes of God. We get to come into contact and know not just the attributes of God, but the person of love himself in this most intimate, intimate way. And when you come close to God that way, everything within you is purified and changed and overtaken by this God. That sounds so wonderful, doesn't it? When all things are made right in communion with God, that sounds great. Who's going to do that? 
Are we going to do that? We can try. Um, I've tried. I don't get very far. Who's going to pull off this beautiful future with God? How is that going to come to pass? What are we supposed to do with this? Just let it stare us in the face and tease us, wishing that we could know God this way, if only we could get our act together. Maybe that's the thing, though. Maybe that's what grace is all about. It's not something we can weasel our way into. We can't, like, know somebody who knows somebody that can work this out for us. It's not something we can earn or work toward, but this is something that is purely given that we receive. We are the recipient of this grace of God. I don't know. Listen to Psalm Psalm, uh, 51 again. Tell me what you think our part is to play in this mysterious exchange with God, okay? Psalm 51, verse 10. We're praying to God for addressing God. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and a right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and sustain me in a willing spirit. Who's doing the action here? You notice? Are we busy? God seems to be doing, yeah, everything except for asking for help, right? That's maybe what the psalmist is doing, is asking for help. That's our part. The psalmist gives us these words of humility and confession. This is why written prayer, for some of us, I know written prayer feels like, why do I gotta pray somebody else's prayer? I've got way better prayers that just come off the top of my head. Actually, I don't think you do. These are amazing, and in fact, I mean, welcome to Res. I do love you, but I'm trying to tell you the truth here. Even Jesus himself would memorize and recite these psalms. Why? Because these psalms are this treasure trove of poetic prayer that express our heart's desire for God in ways that we ought to sometimes and we don't want to, or in ways that honestly, it's like a song that you hear on a radio, like that's what I'm talking about. That's how I feel. The psalms bring that alive for us. Sparks this honesty beyond our own reach on our own capability. The psalms provide us such a great honesty. And the psalmist in 51 expresses our desire for God's mercy and his grace to accomplish something that we couldn't on our own. So let's backtrack just a second. God makes a promise to make himself known to us, right? We said that. But knowing God like this means being washed and purified in our most inward being in our heart, right? We talked about that. Being forgiven, check, we got that. Being restored into communion, yes, we touched on that. Who's gonna bring this about, we ask? In the ancient Jewish imagination, God's priests in the temple, if you can imagine, I mean, they wore fancy robes and things, but imagine God's priests using a hyssop branch to purify the altar, to purify people in this act of cleansing with a hyssop branch dipped in blood often. In fact, in the Exodus Narrative, the doorpost, do you remember this on the night of Passover? You know how the paintbrush that was used for the blood on the doorpost? What was that? It was a hyssop branch. Man. So this hyssop thing and priest thing goes way back. Psalm 51, 7 mentions this in the cleansing. Verse 7 says, purge me with hyssop. What a beautiful image. Reaching back into all of those stories. And I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. We sang that. But let me ask us this. Let's just be real for a second. These are wonderful stories. 
cool. There's some like ancient uh, Jewish imagination stuff at play in this psalm that we pray. Awesome. So what? What kind of priest is going to pull that off for us? What kind of priest can cleanse the cosmos with hyssop? What blood can be painted on the doorposts of the earth? The kind of blood, the kind of doorpost that covers everybody, all humanity, all of creation. What kind of blood, what kind of doorposts would do that? Some doorpost, right? Some blood. Even better, some priest. Who would do this for us? Well, these Old Testament passages kind of tee this up for Hebrews 5. Bump, set, here's the spike. Hebrews 5 writes of Jesus in verse 9, having been made perfect, this is Jesus, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Having been designated by God a high priest, some priest, according to the order of of Melchizedek. Yeah, whatever that means. Let's just like brush over. No, 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 no. Quick, cool side note here. Melchizedek in the Old Testament is this really strange and mysterious priest that kind of shows up out of nowhere, offering bread and wine at an altar with Abram, way back then in the time of Abraham. In many ways, the order of Melchizedek, when it's referenced, represents this undefiled, not like the Levitical priesthood, where they like made mistakes, people died, it was like a wreck, right? But this order of Melchizedek, this undefiled, pure, eternal heritage of priests. The author of Hebrew tells us that Jesus is declared the most high priest in this order of Melchizedek, from this eternal mysterious order of priests of God. And Jesus, this high priest from this order, comes with hyssop to cleanse all things for eternal salvation, for all. Wow. Some blood, some doorpost, some hyssop branch, some priest. So when the Greeks in our gospel reading come looking for Jesus and request to see him, Amazingly, this request, we want to see Jesus, it survives the church's most earliest bureaucracy. It finally finds its way to Jesus through Andrew and Philip. And his response, at first glance, seems to totally disregard the first request. John 12, verse 23, Jesus answers this request. We want to see Jesus, right? He answers them saying, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Verse 26, whoever serves me must follow me where I am. There will my servants will be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Is this a sidestep? Jesus, do you know the question these people want to see you? What's this hour that you're talking about that has finally come? It is the appointed time of God's promise. The time has come when God's promise is going to be fulfilled to glorify the one who would save us from sin, the one that would be lifted up and draw all people to himself. That promise, Jesus is saying, that time is now. It's the time for the brightness of God to shine out. Not for, ours, not for his sake, I'm sorry, but for our sake, that we would be saved, that we would see his light turn to him and be saved. Some glory. 
that even seeing it saves. It's also a glory that shines judgment upon the earth. It drives out the rulers of the earth in order to make room for the one true mediator and king between us and God. One high priest, one king, and it's Jesus. It's also this glory that calls to us to respond. Once you see it, you kind of can't unsee it. Once you've experienced the glory of God, you may say, I'm not a Christian at some point, but that glory is the kind of glory that will haunt you all the days of your life because you can't unexperience this glory of God. It just hangs in there and harasses you, even as a Christian. And it calls us to respond. If you want to see Jesus, if you want to come looking for him this morning, friends, I'm just going to relay Jesus' words to you. Listen carefully. Those who, lo- who love their life lose it. And those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servants be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Do you really want to see Jesus? Knowing what he calls us to? Knowing that he invites us to be cleansed in our inward being? Knowing that we would have to leave those habits and rhythms of sin aside? Do we really want to see him? Do you really want to follow him? Do you really want to obey him this morning? Maybe we really don't want to see Jesus because it would mean that things have to change. Do we want to see him? Jesus doesn't ever ask us to do something he hasn't already done for us. He laid down his life. He endured unimaginable suffering and isolation for our gain, just as he promised he would. Jesus calls us to respond to him in something that he's already done for us. When he says, lay down your life, he's done it. He's actually made it possible for you to respond to him in his invitation. You want to see Jesus? He has made a way for you to see him even this morning. What grace, what kindness, what a mystery. Friends, as we approach Holy Week, week that is holy because we journey with Jesus to the cross, may we be those who truly and genuinely can say we want to see Jesus. No matter where that leads us, we want to see him. As we prepare to see how grace has saved us in his cross, as Jesus goes to suffer and die for us on that hill, may we be found right behind him, following closely, saying, Jesus, we we want to see you. We want to be with you wherever you lead, loving what he commands, desiring what he promises, that even in the challenges ahead, our hearts will always be fixed on him. Can you imagine a community that wants to see Jesus like that? God, have mercy on us, fill us, that we would be able to respond to your call to be drawn to you this morning. Amen. Amen. Let's take a moment of silence to allow the Holy Spirit to continue to invite us and speak to us. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.